0: But they weren't separated in Egypt. But in this story we're telling here, we're seeing that the God has seen them as two different two different entities even back as far as Egypt. And uh I, we haven't spent time on this in a while, but we had spent time on it before. Even before they separated, there was hostilities between the northern tribes and the southern tribes and uh and pressure between them and, and Judah. They didn't uh, there were some uh, Judah was the dominant tribe and not everybody liked that. And so there were some some things that had come up from that. But it's talking about their harlotry back in Egypt. And of course, when they were in Egypt, they had picked up some of the, uh, the idolatrous practices and they were doing some of those things. And when they came out of Egypt, God had to get all that stuff out of them. In verse 5, Ahola played the harlot even though she was mine. And she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians. This is the northern tribe. Who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted. With all their idols she defiled herself. She has never given up her harlotry, her harlotry Excuse me. Harlotry brought from Egypt. For in her youth they had lain with her, pressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their immorality upon her so god is relating all this unfaithfulness they had to him then the relationship of a husband and wife and that she had gone off with other lovers and is being very descriptive about that because this is how god saw it now it's, and in here she never gave up her her uh, harlotry or her idolatry with egypt We may not have seen them practicing at the time, but God still saw it in them. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have stopped practicing the thing, but God still sees it in us. Sometimes uh, I think people think that, well, God, I gave that up. God may say, you haven't given it up. You're still hanging on to it. Mm -hmm. It's still in there. You still got some of those things in your back pocket, ready to to jump in there as soon as you uh, uh, get the urge or, or want to go in that direction. It hasn't been given up. And this was was their problem. They had gone after the idolatry in Egypt and as soon as they were given opportunity again they went after the idolatry some more. Here the gods of the Egyptians were easily exchanged for the gods of the Assyrians. I put in your outline how easy and meaningless it is to exchange what is false for something else false. Boy, we see that all the time today. We put something else, uh, people, media will put something up as false and if uh, they exhaust that and they can't get anything more out of it, they go grab something else that's false and they put that up there. They keep grabbing false things and they'll just as quickly change from one to another and they don't care. You see some people that are dominant in the news cycle because they feel that something they have, something that they can they can say will promote something they want to promote and they'll push them and they'll push them and the, even though they know it's false. They'll push them and push them until... They can't push it anymore, and then they just discard them. And people that were the darlings of the media, well, they're gone. And then somebody else comes up. We're always looking for something false. Media is. And if they can't get any more out of this false, they will just go for another one. That's the same thing that these guys are doing here. They had the false gods in the Egyptians. They replaced it with the true God. And then they replaced it again with the false god of the Assyrians. We're going to see that the southern tribe they went after the gods of the Assyrians, they went after the gods of the Egyptians, and then they also went after the gods of the Babylonians. It's very easy to, re- to replace what is false with something else that is false. And the enemy is always pushing for that to happen. Therefore I have delivered her into the hands hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, and slew her with the sword. She became a byword among women for they had executed judgment on her. Now these—now think about this. These are the ones that Judah thought meant so much to to her. They had given up on God to go after these foreign gods, to go after these uh, foreigners, to go after the Assyrians, to go after the Babylonians, to go after the Egyptians, whatever it might be. And then when they were done using her, when they got all that they could out of her, they turned on her, took away her sons and daughters and said, slew her with the sword, uncovered her nakedness, basically just um, uh, humiliated her. She became a byword among women, women, for they had executed judgment on her and they were executing God's judgment on her. Now this judgment, they've seen it. They already know what happened. They already saw it. They know the northern tribe has fallen and know Assyria did it. So he's tying this in to show this has already happened. And just as sure as that happened, this is the next part that's going to happen. And this is the last prophecy that Ezekiel will give them, at least that he recorded, before Jerusalem comes under siege. So right now, everything that he's saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. But now to the, the, on the next prophecy that we have, it starts out, Jerusalem is under siege. The word has, either the word has already come, or he got word in the Spirit ahead of time. And is telling them. Now, uh, verse 11. Now, although her sister Aholibah saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she, and in her harlotry more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. So she saw all this go on. She saw the, uh, the uh, Judah, of course, they stayed with God more, uh, more truly than the northern tribe. The northern, tra- northern tribe had no kings who served God. None. Everyone that God picked and served God before, as soon as they became king, They rejected God. They went their own way. The southern tribe at least had some kings that served God and some of them very very wholeheartedly served God. And the nation seemed to follow suit even though they could very quickly go back to to worshiping idols as soon as the next king came along. But the southern tribes watched all this what went on with the northern tribes and they didn't look at that and say, oh, let's not do it that way. Let's not go after that. That's uh, We ought to change our... Uh, change something up so that we don't get that. And they did and they went after it even more with more uh, gusto than their sister did. She was worse than all that oh- Ohala had done. So verse 12. She lusted for the neighboring Assyrians, captains and rulers, clothed most gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled, both Took the same way, but she increased her harlotry. She looked at men portrayed on the wall, images of Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, girded with belts around their waist, flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like captains in the manner of the Babylonians of Chaldea, the land of their of their nativity. As soon as her eyes saw them, she lusted for them, and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. Then the Babylonians came to her. Into the bed of love and they defiled her with their immorality. So she was defiled by them and it alienated herself with them. So she went from the Egyptians to the Assyrians and then to the Babylonians, and could very easily replace one with the other. Apparently there were some things there that uh, uh, appealed to them, and they just uh, just ran after them, left God behind. Verse eighteen says, She revelled her harlotry and uncovered her nakedness. Then I alienated myself from her as I as I had alienated myself from her sister. This is what God will do when we are walking in that area of unfaithfulness. We go after the, the things that we're not supposed to, that God says stay away from these. And that's what they did. And God said, I alienated myself from her. And I, as I had alienated myself from her sister. So they know that God did from the sister. Now God is saying, I've done the same thing with you. Now verse 19 and 20. These are some tough verses. These are certainly not ones you're going to come back to and meditate on for future, future reference. This is just, uh, God is just being as blunt with them as He can be. He says, Yet she multiplied her harlotry and calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt for she lusted for her paramours best we can figure out what that is like concubines whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses now if that's blind to you there's a, pretty much every translation will translate this very similarly here to the new, new living translation she lusted after her lovers with genitals as large as a donkeys and emissions like those of a horse can you imagine that's in the word of God the New Century Version softens this a little bit. She wanted men who behaved like animals in their sexual desire. But that's pretty strong language, don't you think, for God. This is words that are coming from God. These are not words that men have made up or that men have, have come up with to uh, to call this. God intended this to be in the Word of God. I think that's just a little surprising. But He wants them to see this is this is God God's speaking this way. Have you ever heard somebody who... uh Uh, they're they're very very level-headed, very even-keeled, and uh, they got so upset Some one time, you saw them say things, do things, that you never thought you'd say, or hear them say, never thought you'd see them do. Doesn't that tell you something? Man, something must have happened. Oh, what in the world went on? You know something went to another level here. This is what God is showing them. Things have gone to another level. So he's using language like this. Thus you, this you called to remembrance the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians pressed your bosom because of your youthful breasts. Well, he's described the situation pretty uh, candidly. Now he's going to go on and describe the judgment. Therefore, Aholaba, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up your lovers against you from whom you have alienated yourself and I will bring them against you from every side. Now what we're seeing here is that the root of all the wrongdoing of these two sisters is their unfaithfulness. And if you have been up there on the Facebook, I gave you the little introduction on this. That in this we're going to see two attitudinal sins from which all the other sins will come from. The first of these attitudinal sins is unfaithfulness. And we've seen that depicted in a number of different places. They were unfaithful to God. They were unfaithful to God and going after the Assyrians, the gods of the Assyrians, going after the Babylonians and the gods of the Babylonians and going after the Egyptians and the gods of the Egyptians. They were unfaithful there. And over the course of the time, they had been unfaithful. Even in the time of the judges, they were unfaithful to God. God sent uh, the plagues amongst them. Uh, Armies would come. Raiders would come. They would repent and they would come back. And as soon as things would get better again, they'd go there Go their own way. Unfaithful again, just from unfaithfulness to unfaithfulness, barely ever any any faithfulness. And all through this, through other things, other things we saw him talk about, they did not honor his sabbaths. They were unfaithful in the idea of trusting God and uh, and obeying his commands. They were unfaithful in that. They were unfaithful in the year of jubilee. As far as we know, they never kept it a single time. So many things that they had done, they were unfaithful with. In the wilderness, how many times did we see them unfaithful? God would say, "Do this," they do something different. God say, "Don't complain," they complain more. It didn't matter what God said to do, they're going to do something opposite. Of course, with the manna that we we saw that the, the most pointedly, go out and collect just enough for today. They collected more. Go out and collect double today because tomorrow's the Sabbath is not going to fall. They didn't. They just, they just are an unfaithful people. And so God says, you've gone after these guys, you've been unfaithful with me, you've alienated yourself from me, going after these people, so I'm going to give them over to you. Now in the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, we, we know the shortened version, but here's the long version of it. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. That's pretty clear. If it's in the water, don't make an image of it and worship worship it. If it's on the land, don't make an image of it and worship it. If it's something that you envision up in heaven, don't make an image of it and worship it. And yet we see many times, in mean the Greeks, how many images do they have that say fell from heaven? And God says, if it's from heaven above, don't worship it. Got an image from a heaven above, don't worship it. One from the earth, don't worship it. One from the water underneath, don't worship it. You shall not bound down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So that was the first commandment. And apparently, according to this this chapter here, they've done a lousy job with it from the time they've come out of Egypt. They have not kept even the first commandment from the time they were in Egypt. Throughout the time of the wilderness, throughout the time of the judges, throughout the times of the kings. They had not kept it. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Verse 23, the Babylonians, all the Chaldeans, Pekod, Shoah, Koah, all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men, governors and rulers, captains and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you with chariots, wagons and war horses, with a horde of people. They shall array against you, buckler, shield and helmet all around. I will delegate judgment to them. And they shall judge you according to their judgments. I will set my jealousy against you. And they shall deal furiously with you. They shall remove your nose and your ears. And your remnant shall fall by the sword. They shall take your sons and your daughters. And your remnant shall be devoured by fire. That, uh, man, that is, that is a tough depiction right there. Can you imagine someone that you love? Someone that you care about. Going through stuff like that. We were just talking before the servers about somebody who's going through something that Ethel knew. And just because you knew them, it's tougher because of what they're going through. Can you imagine? God had picked these folks. Now, he did not make the covenant with them. If you've, if you've gone through, you know, with us, stay with us all the, the time here in, in Ezekiel. God depicts the covenant at the time he picked them and selected them after they were in Egypt. He says, I picked you when you were in the wilderness. So during that time in the wilderness, he says, that's when I picked you. You weren't worthy of of anything. I took someone who was unworthy. And I made you worthy. And I took you as, as my bride. But they didn't stay that way. They didn't stay faithful to him. And they went after all these other things. Kept going back to the gods of the Egyptians. Kept going back to new gods when they were introduced. They were unfaithful. And God's going to Get to that point. It's kind of like you know, two people got divorced. When two people get divorced, then they were all in love with each other and and um, all doing so well with each other for for a while. And then uh, when they get divorced, then they hate each other. And they just they want to see bad things happen to the other person. And it's kind of like that here. God is saying, "Man, I was, I had you. You were, you were mine. And all I wanted to do was protect you. And now." He's going to stand by and let these folks come in there. Take off their ears. Take off their noses. Take your sons and your daughters. Boy, if you see somebody that you know and love going through stuff like that, you try and do everything you can to stop them. But God has has told them, this is how far you've gone. Well, in verse uh, 26, Well, 25, I will set my jealousy against you. This is this is why God has become jealous. Boy, I tell you what, some people just in the natural with a sin nature. You can do some nasty things when you get jealous. Well, this is a godly, righteous jealousy. We can't even understand what that's like. But he's saying pain, humiliation, and loss will be delivered in this judgment. Pain, humiliation, and loss will be delivered in this judgment. He goes on in verse 26, They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewelry. Thus I will make you s- cease your lewdness and your harlotry brought from the land of Egypt. Again, we're going back to Egypt. Have, this has not left them since then. So that you will not lift your eyes to them, nor remember Egypt anymore. For thus says the Lord God, Surely I will deliver you into the hand of those who hate. You hate into the hand of those from whom you alienated yourself. They will deal hatefully with you. Take away all you have worked for and leave you naked and bare. The nakedness of your harlotry shall be uncovered, both your lewdness and your harlotry. And I will do these things to you because you have gone as a harlot against after the Gentiles because you have become defiled by their idols. You have walked in the way of your sister. Therefore, I will put her cup in your hand. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup, the deep and wide one and you shall be laughed to scorn and held in derision it contains much can you think back to this of having to drink something have you ever ever had to drink something that you couldn't stand I I know some of those medical tests that make you drink some stuff that tastes terrible Mm -hmm. I remember hearing about about some of that some kind of white chalky type of stuff that you had to drink for certain uh, types of tests that you had to do Uh, so if you envision something like that and they don't just give you a little tiny bit of it do they they give you a whole big cup And you gotta down the whole thing. And God is saying this. It's a big cup. It's a wide cup. There's a whole lot of stuff in there and you're gonna drink it all. And you're not gonna like it. But you got no choice. You're gonna be drinking it. You have walked in the way of your sister. Therefore I will put her cup in your hand. Thus says the Lord God. You shall drink of your sister's cup, the deep and the wide one. You shall be laughed to scorn and held in derision. It contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink it and drain it. You shall break its shards and tear at your own breast, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. He, he continues to use some shocking language in this. He is trying to wake them up. I'm not real sure exactly what would happen if they did wake up and they repented. And they say, you know what? We finally realized what we've done. We're, I don't know what would happen. I don't know what God would do. He did say in the previous one, if uh, I look for someone to intercede, and there was no one. So maybe he, he still would have repented of, or relented of some Something. But here in verse 35 it brings us to the second attitudinal sin. Therefore thus says the Lord God because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. And this one is forgetfulness. There is actually a cause before she became unfaithful. The the cause of her unfaithfulness is her forgetfulness. She forgot what God had done. She forgot how often God had delivered her. She forgot how much God had blessed her. And because she didn't remember what God had done, she became unfaithful. And she went after other, as God put it, she went after other lovers. She went after other gods. She went after the ones of the Egyptians. And when Assyria began to rise to power, she decided to go after her and rise to them. And when the Babylonians began to come to power, they began to to go after those and leave God behind. And God says, "You've tossed me behind your back. You've forgotten that I'm here." Verse thirty-six. The Lord also said to me, "Son of man, will you judge Ahola and?" Aholava, then declared to them their abominations. For they have committed adultery. And blood is on their hands. They have committed adultery with their idols. And even sacrificed their sons whom they bore to me. Passing them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbath. We see these things repeated over and over again. What they were doing to the, to the babies... And what they were doing to the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath showed a matter of trust to God. We'll give the land at Sabbath. We'll give ourselves the Sabbath. We won't sacrifice our sons, our babies, to these, to these idols. For that, after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And indeed thus they have done it in the midst of my house. And I know we relate a lot of times this uh, uh child sacrifice to abortion and things like that. And some people have a hard time with that because there is no idol worship. But don't most don't a lot of people do uh, abortion because of the idolatry of inconvenience. Well this baby is not inconvenient it is it's kind of inconvenient for me. And so we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll do that. Well I don't trust that this baby is going to be born healthy. Somebody has told me that it won't be born healthy well it's just not a good time well we just don't have the money and they come up with all kinds of of things but is it not because they are not trusting their own God the God they should be trusting and they're going after something else and we surely in this country alone have boy I don't know what what words you could use What Israel did is small time potatoes compared to what we've done. And God has brought it up over and over and over again. Of all the things He could do, you know, they were stealing from each other. God doesn't bring that up often. They were doing things to His temple and God brought it up a couple of times. But the things we see Him bring up over and over and over again is what they did to the little children that they profaned his sabbaths, and the sabbaths of the land, and the sabbaths for themselves; that they served other gods. Furthermore, you sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger, verse forty, was sent, and there they came, and you washed yourselves for them, painted your eyes, and adorned yourselves with ornaments. Now, can you imagine this? God, this is this this is uh, Judah, and they're supposed to be true to you, and they got this this uh, person coming. And so they go and get themselves all cleaned up, painted up, making themselves looking real good because they want to impress this this new lover that's coming along. You sat on a stately couch with a table prepared before it on which you had set my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her. Sabians were brought from the wilderness with men of common sort who put bracelets on their wrists and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I say concerning her who had grown old in adulteries will they commit harlotry with her now and she with them? Yet they went into her as men go into a woman who plays the harlot. Thus they went into Ahola and Aholaba the lewd woman. But righteous men will judge them after the manner of adulteresses and after the manner of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. So he gives a summary of the judgment. This is what's coming. Just in case they didn't get the picture yet. Remember, they are forgetful. Picks it up at verse forty six. For thus says the Lord God, Bring Bring up an assembly against them, give them up to trouble and plunder. The assembly shall stone them with stones and execute them with their swords. And they shall slay their sons and their daughters and burn their houses with fire. Thus I will cause Lewdness to cease from the land, that all women may be taught not to practice your lewdness. They shall repay you for your lewdness, and you shall pay for your idolatrous sins. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Now as depressing as this sounds, there is actually a little bit of hope in this last one. Because we are talking about, I am purging this out so that when restoration comes this won't be coming back (laughs) so it sounds bad and it is but God has the hope of bringing them all back and of course he's going to paint this picture even more so in the chapters to come but he he lets them know even right here because some of them may survive some of them may outlast the, the captivity the captivity would be 70 years if they're very very young at this point they may make it through the 70 years, a lot of them, just in the natural, would die in, in the, the land where they are. They, of course, would have some children. And those children need to, be, need to be taught. And they seem to have done a good job of teaching their children, don't do this. Because Israel had a problem with idolatry, according to these prophecies, since they left the land of Egypt. That would include the time of wandering in the wilderness, the time of the judges, the times of the kings, all that time, they've had a problem with idolatry. When they come back as a nation again, they never have a problem with idolatry. As a nation, there may be some individuals that had a problem with idolatry, but as a nation, idolatry is not the issue. Now the problem is religion. And they, we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're not worshipping any kind of foreign god, but you can see that uh, their their religion had really corrupted the love of God The commands of God. So many things that had had been lost. Well, in this first area, this first attitudinal sin, unfaithfulness, you don't become unfaithful and worship right off the bat. You start off with something else. For Israel, it started off not honoring the Sabbath. It started off with their thoughts being filled with other things remember when they were wandering in the wilderness what would they think of well when we were back in Egypt think of all the the leeks and the garlic and the things that we had at our disposal and they remembered apparently a very flowering picture of Egypt and they would think about these things oh that we were back in the land of Egypt how many times did they say that because their thoughts are going back there said we had the same problem with us the enemy is always trying to get our thoughts to go back to something else To not see where we are and the good that's there. No, no, no. I want to go back into here. Oh, the way we had it before. So we don't become unfaithful and worship right off the bat. The enemy comes in and starts to get us unfaithful in other things. Israel began to, to skimp on the sacrifice, skip on the tithes that they were supposed to do. Became unfaithful in that. God had uh, exhorted him about that a couple of times in the in the Word. But this is what the enemy is going to try and do. He's going to try and get you to become unfaithful into something. There's some Word that you know and he used to put a whole lot of attention to it. And if he can get you to lessen a little bit of the attention on that, all he has to do is get you to start with unfaithfulness somewhere. If he can get some unfaithfulness into some of the things that we've been taught. We saw in the in, in the Philippians the things we're supposed to meditate on. But how often do we find ourselves meditating on other stuff? Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be believing God for things, but instead we find ourselves in doubt and unbelief. Not trusting that God will bring us through. Instead of believing the best in people, we believe the worst. Instead of listening to the inspiration from God, We're open to being inspired by the devil. And just like Peter spoke words that were inspired by Satan, we sometimes have spoken the same things. And we become unfaithful. One of the main reasons we'll become unfaithful is the same reason that the Israelites did. It's because we became forgetful. Forgetfulness. Boy, I tell you what, it can plague us no matter what. Think about this. When friends have walked away from you, you probably had some friends who walked away, betrayed you. How many times have you begin to to think on that and you begin to think, how can so-and-so do that to me? Look at all the things I've done for them. Have you ever had those thoughts? Somebody betrayed you, somebody walked away from you, and immediately you begin to think of all the things you had done for them. Isn't it amazing how our thoughts go there immediately? But wait a minute, I did this for them. If we have a job and we suddenly got fired, no warning, what do we begin to think about? But look at all the things I did for them. Look at how much I sacrificed. Look at how much I gave. Then we are brought to mind about how much they must have been forgetful of all that we have done. All the love and care that we gave. Sometimes, we're the one who fell into the area of a betrayer. We're the one who walked away from a friendship. And whenever that happens, I'm sure that the other people are thinking the same things we were thinking when we had it done to us. But what do our thoughts go to? I began to ponder this for a little bit and began to to think about it. You know what? When I walk away from a friendship, when I walk away and and, and betray something like that, My thought is, it's not so much that I have forgotten everything that's going on before. It is that I consider what is going on in the present to be far greater than what has gone on in the past. What I feel right now is far more important than what I remember. And this is what we saw with Israel when they were at the mountain. And Moses is up on the mountain getting the the commandments and having that time with God and the thunderings going on and the people were scared. And after he was up there for a while, what did they say? We don't know what happened to this Moses. Make for us gods that will take us back to Egypt. You see, instead of remembering what had gone on before, they went with what they felt. At the time, we do this more often than I think we would ever like to, to say. But most of the time that we are ever brought into a place of being unfaithful, whenever we are brought into a place of walking away from a friendship that has meant a lot to us, it is because I have put more stock into what I feel at the moment than what has gone on before. We've all watched movies. Hallmark is notorious for this. You can see the whole Hallmark movie. We're spending an hour, that first hour, hour and a half. And we're seeing that the, the, the guy and the girl are just doing all these things to sow good feelings into each other. And then all of a sudden, they overhear a phone call. They overhear a conversation. And what happens? Everything that was done before is forgotten because of what I feel at the moment. Now, every once in a while, a hallmark will pull something out and they'll surprise us. And uh, instead of somebody assuming the wrong thing because you're sitting there, yeah, they're going to go, something's going to go on. They're going to assume, yeah, there it is. All right, they're going to assume the wrong thing. And then they don't. They actually went there and they confronted them. They said, hey, I was thinking this and I thought, all right, that's the way it should go. (laughs) It doesn't always happen that way because it doesn't always happen that way with people. We tend to forget what has gone on before. And we do this with God. We can go with with God and God can, like Israel, brought brought us through the Red Sea, brought water out of a rock, manna from heaven, quail from wherever. (laughs) And as soon as we feel Something. Oh, God brought us out here to kill us. We forsake all the things that are going on before. Doesn't matter how many times God healed me in the past. What I'm facing now is too great and too big. And obviously God doesn't care because I'm going through this. This is what the enemy wants to do. And he does it, he does it so often in the Word of God where we read the stories and we see the times like the disciples come up to Jesus in the boat and they say, don't you care (laughs) that we're perishing? Hasn't Jesus shown them how much he has cared in all the things that have gone on before? But what I feel in the moment (laughs) overrides everything I would remember from the past. If we want to get to the place where our faithfulness will override the tendency of people to be unfaithful, we have got to get to the place where our remembrance will outdo our feelings on the present. And if I can get my memory of what God has done for me, what God has blessed me with, what God has done in, in delivering me, helping me, giving me wisdom, if I can focus on the remembering and not on the feeling, I will see my faithfulness increase greatly. Because one of the greatest enemies of faithfulness is not remembering. All through the Old Testament, God set up mem- memorials. When Israel came through the Red Sea, what were they supposed to do? Grab some stones and they build a memorial. When they came through the Jordan, what were they supposed to do? Grab some stones. And build a memorial, 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 excuse me. And they were commanded, they were told, every time that your children come by these memorials, I want you to tell them the story of what happened. We took these from the bottom of the Red Sea. And we brought them out because God had parted the Red Sea and He drowned the Egyptian army in it. So many things that God had had them do, had them build so that they would remember because God knew our tendency is to forget and if the enemy can get us to forget or not remember as clearly he can get us to be unfaithful he'll get us to be unfaithful to God he'll get us to be unfaithful to each other and eventually we'll even become unfaithful to those things that will benefit ourselves and that will help us always remember more we write down the more we can go back and look the more we can remember what God has done there are a couple of times in the word of God and I'm sure it happened a lot more than it was just written down but kings would sit there and they would begin to, to go through oh, let's just read some of the things that happened <laughs> you remember uh, Haman walked in on the court one time when the king was reading some things that happened and said hey what did we ever do for that guy and uh, apparently nothing was done. And just then Haman came in and said, you know what, we gotta, we got to honor him. Remember that? Because you see, he was going through the things that had happened in the kingdom. Sometimes we need to just go through our lives and remember all the things that God had done. Because if I will remember what God has done, I will give in less to the feeling of the moment. There are a lot of people that give into the feeling of the moment. In movies, they give into the feeling of the moment and they make accusations against a person. But those words are gone. They've gone out their mouth and they've damaged and they've hurt. Boy, if we just would get on the remembrance side. Father God, I feel this right now but here's what I remember. Stay with the remembrance. Don't go with the feeling. And we'll find that our faithfulness will hit an all new level, a whole new place of greatness. We'll hit faithfulness we never even knew possible because the enemy of our faithfulness is not remembering. Father, we thank you that we can remember all the things you have done, not only the things we've done in our life, but Father, we read your word to see what you had done for others. We know these are not fables, but these are, these are the stories of what God has done. I thank you. That as we read them, we can remember all that you had done. And as we think on our own lives, help us to remember all that God has delivered us through. The enemy wants to either have us forget or to minimize what it is that was done. That wasn't a real miracle. That wasn't really anything great. Oh yeah, I guess maybe I'm just remembering it as more spectacular than it was. If he can affect our memory, he will affect our faithfulness. Just as he had done with Israel. But I thank you, Father, that you help us to remember that your Spirit recalls things to our mind, the things that we need to remember, the things that will help us to continue on in our faithfulness. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.